Happy Juneteenth, everybody. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're preparing for Juneteenth 1st, which will complete the triduum of the sacred feast of Juneteenth. And many of you probably had never heard of Juneteenth before the liberals invented it five minutes ago. But that is not stopping even many conservatives from embracing the holiday and joining in on the pretense that Juneteenth is not only a real thing, but a very good thing. I have here an article from the Antioch Herald. Happy Juneteenth, a celebration of freedom brought to you by the Republican Party. I have here Washington Times, right-wing Washington Times. Juneteenth, a celebration in honor of the GOP's greatest accomplishment. Greatest one ever. And then I have here Fox News, the... Formerly conservative cable channel Fox News, why Juneteenth is as American as the 4th of July. Juneteenth unites Americans by celebrating the end of slavery. Of course, it doesn't do any of that. Juneteenth is not traditionally American, certainly doesn't unite people, and it doesn't mark the end of slavery, either in the Emancipation Proclamation or in the 13th Amendment. It doesn't mark the end of anything. It marks the day that the mailman made it to some random part of Texas and told the locals that Lincoln had freed some of the slaves two and a half years prior. Virtually no one in the country had heard of it until a few years ago when white liberals started pretending that it was a really important day to black people, virtually none of whom had ever heard of it either. And then because the white people thought the black people really cared about it, everybody started pretending that it was a thing and now it is a federal holiday. Whatever obscure local tradition Juneteenth is based on has little, if anything, to do with the current holiday, which liberals created three years ago and named, crucially, the Juneteenth National Independence Day. Why did they do that? In order to replace the old Independence Day, which is the 4th of July. Even today, even the most ardent observers of Juneteenth will struggle to tell you exactly what the day commemorates. This ambiguity is by design. The point is emphatically not to mark anything in particular. It's not to celebrate emancipation, freedom. The point is to insist that emancipation never really took place, that it has not and never will be completed, that it is a constant process of revolution to overthrow the oppression and deceit of our political order and national myths. That's the point. The whole point of Juneteenth is to be an anti-independence day for an anti-American nation. It's the same subversive claptrap that the libs peddle every chance they get, which would be bad enough. But to add insult to injury, a sizable group of sweet, dopey, gullible conservatives are going along with it. As if our cooperation with this contrived nonsense will finally get the libs to stop calling us evil and racist. And, as is always the case with conservative capitulation, not only is this not going to work, but left unchecked, the revolution will continue more and more radically, until we finally celebrate independence from our very country and culture. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show.
Welcome back to the show. We have a little later, I'm sorry to report, a Southern California high school teacher giving a lesson on pleasing an orifice that really should not be pleased. Uh, I, we're going to heavily edit it. You know, this is a family show. We're going to keep it PG, okay? But we'll get to it because a lot of conservatives, I think, are having the wrong reaction to this disgusting clip. So we'll get to that in a little bit. First, though, we've, we've got to stick around with these squishy conservatives, these gullible, center kind of liberal, squishy people. Juneteenth is for conservatives who want to play pretend. The liberals invent Juneteenth, or more or less, if they take some random tiny local tradition and turn it into something completely different at the national level, and we all have to pretend that it's a real thing. And the whole point of the holiday is obviously to be an anti-independence day. It's why it's two weeks before Independence Day. That's why it founds the nation in a very different way. It views the, the trajectory of the American nation in a very different way than the, the traditional Independence Day would. The old Independence Day is founded on this idea that there is a fixed human nature. There's certain truths, unalienable rights that God endows us with, and we're going to pursue those eternal truths the, the new Independence Day, Juneteenth, it says, no, there's not. There was the Emancipation Proclamation. That was a little earlier. There's the 13th Amendment. That's a little later. And, but even the 13th Amendment didn't really get rid of slavery because there was Jim Crow later. And even Jim Crow didn't really get rid of slavery because there was redlining and there was, I don't know, there's, now there's mass incarceration. That's slavery according to the libs. And it, so it's never over. It's never over. America's always bad. It's always very oppressive. We always have to reject the past. We've got to feel a crisis in the present. We've got to just run into an uncertain liberal future where they tell us eventually, eventually we'll, we'll find utopia. And there are conservatives who want to pretend that that's a good thing, like that's a win. Ooh, they don't realize, what the Democrats don't realize is they're the real racists, you see. And so what they don't realize is the Republicans actually won the Civil War. And it's the Republicans are the good party. They don't realize that, those dopes. Ha <laughs> ha, we'll show them. Juneteenth, it's a Republican holiday. Okay, all right. You're not convincing anybody. <laughs> but if that makes you feel better at night, okay, fine. And it's this same kind of play, pretend, make believe that everything is okay and that the Republicans, we're really, we're really winning here. We're, we're seriously equal partners in this American political project. It's not that the liberal establishment dominates everything. No, no, we, we got, we're playing fair and square here. It's those kind of guys who we're now seeing really go after, say, Donald Trump. It's those kind of guys who we're seeing really go after the, the populist element in the GOP. It's guys like Asa Hutchinson, who is furious about the Trump campaign. Not, I'm sure he's furious for a lot of reasons. But one thing he's furious about is the single most defensible part of the Trump campaign, namely the observation that the Department of Justice is being weaponized against conservatives. The whole concept uh, of the re- that so many Republican leaders are adopting, that this is the weaponization of the Justice Department, and I think they've made some bad decisions. Uh, I can certainly disagree with many of the decisions they've made, particularly Jim Comey uh, and some of his in reference to uh, Hillary Clinton. But in terms of the overall charge of weaponization of the uh, Justice Department, look at Donald Trump. 
He's already declared that he, if he's elected president, he's going to appoint a special prosecutor to go after the Biden family. That's called a weaponization of the Justice Department. And so let's back off of these accusations and let's get back to being the party of the rule of law, of the justice system, supporting law enforcement, and the equal application of the law. But you just admitted the Justice Department's being weaponized. The first part of that statement, Asa Hutchinson admits, yeah, I look, I'm not happy with the things Jim Comey did, in particular, vis-a-vis -vis Hillary Clinton. And well, what does that imply? Well, I don't, I don't necessarily agree about the DOJ letting Hillary off the hook for a much more egregious version of the crime that Donald Trump allegedly committed. And of course, you know, the DOJ cooking up a completely fake narrative, a hoax, alleging that he colluded with the Russians to try to destroy his presidential campaign from the DOJ and then try to undermine his entire duly elected administration. And sure, maybe I don't, I don't support, now I'm just putting words in his mouth, maybe I don't support the fact that the DOJ is going to let BLM terrorists who burn federal courthouses off the hook. Meanwhile, they throw Midwestern grannies who cracked a Coors Light in the Capitol Rotunda into solitary confinement without charges. Maybe, okay, I know. But, but if we acknowledge all those unfortunate truths, well, then we might weaponize the Justice Department too. So let's just, let's just what? Let's just play pretend. That's what he's saying. He's saying, yes, the DOJ is being weaponized by Democrats against Republicans consistently. It's happening right now. The majority of Americans, according to a Harvard-Harris poll, say that the indictments of Donald Trump are election interference by the Democrats. That's all true, but let's pretend it's not happening. La, 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 la. Because if we acknowledge that it's happening, then we have a responsibility to do something about it, which means that we're going to have to insist upon our political principles in the government, which of course we should, it's politics, right? Polit politics is what we do with the, in the government. But we've, for many decades now, we've pretended that that somehow isn't the case, that the government is totally neutral and doesn't have any substantive political commitments. And so if we do that, well, by golly, we're going to have to acknowledge that there are some serious problems with our structure and that the liberals have a lot more power than the squishy Republicans previously admitted. Let's, let's just be nice guys. Because if we do all that, then I can't go on CNN anymore. You know, then they're going to call me like racist or something. Let's just better just to keep our heads in the sand and play pretend. I don't think we should play pretend. I think we got to be honest. We got to talk to one another. When you want to talk to your friends, you got to check out Pure Talk. Right now, go to puretalk.com slash Knowles. One company that I'm very proud to stand behind, a company that's proud to stand behind us in our country, Pure Talk. Veteran owned with a 100% American workforce, they share our beliefs. That is why Pure Talk is the official cell phone wireless provider of the Daily Wire. But that is not the only reason. Pure Talk also happens to be the most dependable 5G network in the U.S. They're a top-tier provider at a fraction of the cost of those other companies. You know those companies, ATT, Verizon, T-Mobile, companies that do not care about you or what you believe. Mix and match your plans to fit every person in your family. Choose from talk, text, and 5G data for just 20 bucks a month, all the way up to unlimited data with a mobile hotspot, just $55 a month. I guarantee that's less than you're paying for that right now. 
You vote with how you spend your money. Stop supporting woke wireless companies that do not support you. Go to puretalk.com slash Knowles. You get great coverage and save while you're doing it. Go to puretalk.com slash Knowles. You'll save an additional 50% off your first month because they actually value you. That is puretalk.com slash Knowles. Pure Talk Wireless by Americans for Americans. Some conservatives are sick of playing pretend. Some thousands of conservatives, conservatives Catholics, just showed up outside of Dodger Stadium because, you know, we had previously mentioned that the Dodgers were going to honor a, an actual satanic drag troupe, a blasphemous, sacrilegious, satanic drag troupe whose entire raison d'etre is to mock our Lord Jesus Christ. That group was being honored at Dodger Stadium. They're called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. So they mock not only our Lord, but they mock nuns who worship our Lord. And uh, so the Dodgers initially said, okay, we probably shouldn't honor the satanic drag troupe. And then later on they said, no, actually we should. You know, we should. Sorry, I forgot our national religion is the rainbow. Okay, yeah, we're going we're gonna to honor the satanic drag troupe. And so thousands of Catholics turned up outside and, and protested. You can see there's lots of great videos. And unlike when the liberals show up and protest, they didn't burn anything down. They didn't make the place look disgusting. They, they, just, they just held up signs and said, stop this kind of hate. Believe, believe in Jesus, you know. Really nice basic stuff, holding up beautiful banners, beautiful pictures of our Lord, crucifixes. They're just, so, man, I love conservatives and Christians so much. They just, even when they're taking to the streets, they're just orderly, put together. They look nice. But they're showing up en masse. I mean, if you were a big lib and you were going to the Dodgers game, you would probably be surprised that there are even that many Catholics in Southern California. That is a show of numbers and power. And it's something that the American people need to start doing a little bit more. Because increasingly, you're seeing a divergence of opinion between the people and the elite. The big divergence of opinion that we're seeing now is not so much left versus right or Republican versus Democrat. It's people versus elite. That's how you're seeing the emergence of populist candidates like Donald Trump, like Robert Kennedy Jr. We're kind of crossing party lines in a way that we haven't seen in the last few decades of American politics. You're seeing the, the deplorables, the irredeemable people, you know, the ones, the bitter clingers that Obama and Hillary Clinton made fun of. Those people don't neatly fit exactly into Republican or Democrat. They're moving much more in the Republican camp right now because the Democrats have be, now become the party of the elite. So we've got the numbers on our sides on a whole host of issues. I mean, to use just this example, the, the drag queen stuff and the anti-Catholic hate, the American people are overwhelmingly on our side, but because we don't have that much power anymore, because a small number of elite liberals control the political process now, it's, it's unclear how, how much influence our, our numbers are actually going to get us. So we've got to show up. That, that does matter. I, I was reminded of the COVID vaccines. Do you remember the COVID vaccines? Joe Biden said, I'm not going to have a vaccine mandate. I'm not going to have a vaccine mandate. I'm not going to have a vaccine mandate. Okay, there's a mandate. And how did that happen? Because Biden was waiting, Fauci was waiting, 
for the number of people who had already received one shot of the vaccine to reach a significant threshold that there wouldn't be total pushback. So then the moment, when it was just 10% of people had gotten the vaccine, Biden knew that a federal mandate was a losing proposition. Then 20, then 30, then 40, then 50. Once you get enough people, all of a sudden you say, okay, now we've got it. Same thing with Fauci. During the, the run-up to the vaccine, he was asked, what percentage of people need to be vaccinated to achieve herd immunity? And he said, oh, now listen here, listen here. I think the total percentage is 70%. One day was 70%, one day was 80%, one day was 60%. It kept moving and Fauci was asked, wait, hold on, why does this keep moving? And he admitted, he said, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said something to the effect of, because look, part of this is politically Publicly, I've got to convince people to get the vaccine. So we move, the, we adjust the thresholds a little bit to do that, okay? The numbers really matter. The enthusiasm really matters. If we show these guys that we mean business, they are going to back off, at least for a time. Now, speaking of vaccines and speaking of Robert Kennedy Jr., he's making some waves now. The way you know that Robert Kennedy Jr. is making serious waves against Joe Biden is one, he's polling around 19 or 20% against him, which is pretty insane for a quote unquote fringe candidate who's running against the incumbent. But the other reason that you know that he's starting to make some serious headway is that the liberal establishment's going after him. So Bobby Kennedy Jr., he lived in the town I lived in growing up or like one town over. So I've been aware of Bobby Kennedy Jr. for most of my life. And he's a liberal lawyer, environmentalist lawyer. He, he got really focused on the vaccine issue and was mocked for it. Now he's not mocked quite as much for it because people saw the negative effects of some of these vaccines during COVID. And so now he seems like a much more anti-establishment figure. The guy always got really great press. The press treated this guy like royalty for most of my life because he's a Kennedy. And now, all of a sudden, that he seems to be a threat to Joe Biden and the liberal establishment, all of a sudden, you're seeing these headlines about decades-old misdeeds of Bobby Kennedy Jr. He's a Kennedy, okay? He's lived a colorful life. These guys, uh, you know, they're not the most buttoned-up family in America. Just, you know, look, look at his <laughs> uncles. Look at, it, look at his pretty much his whole family, okay? And uh, RFK Jr. is no exception to that. My question is just, uh, why now? Why now are you covering scandals from 10 years ago, 20 years ago? Oh, because you gave him a pass when he was a reliable, if eccentric Democrat, but now that he threatens you in any way, you're going to try to destroy his life. I, I, am, I am not a, a big fan of the Kennedys. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a, an old school liberal or something. I'm not one of these people who says, boy, if Jack Kennedy were alive today, he'd be a Republican. I don't I guess maybe maybe he would, probably he wouldn't, but I don't know. I'm not a classical liberal. I'm not a 1960s liberal. I'm just a conservative. So I'm, I don't really fall in, into the thrall of, of the Kennedys. But I'll tell you, if there were some way to see a Trump-Kennedy ticket, it would probably do very, very well. And it's not totally out of the question. And the reason it's not totally out of the question is in part because of the time that we're living in. What do Trump and Kennedy have in common? They're both, for large parts of their careers, skeptics of the vaccines. They're both now derided and detested by the political establishment. They're both celebrity rock stars within their own parties and social milieu who have 
been sort of ostracized from them now. And now they're both considered to be champions of the people. So as populism rises and blurs the lines between left and right, there's a case for putting those two guys together, even though Kennedy's got all sorts of terrible opinions on guns and abortion and all the rest of it. You, you could see a case for that to be made. And it would be the craziest one yet if a Kennedy were the GOP vice presidential candidate. That would be completely wild. It would make people's heads explode. He's polling very well among Democrats right now. Could it happen? Probably not. But it is probably Kennedy's best shot right now, given who he is. And it's a reminder, too, that... Populism doesn't look like you think it does from a, a movie or a novel or something like that. It's, n- it's not usually just some random yokel who crops up out of nowhere and leads a popular revolution. These guys are both very, very wealthy celebrities who seem like unexpected figures. You know, the idea that a billionaire playboy from New York is going to lead the conservative resurgence in America, that was, that always seemed wild. The idea that a Kennedy is going to lead the anti-establishment faction of the Democrats seems a little, a little crazy, but, but big political changes almost driven by pretty well-funded political minorities. It's not totally out of the question. Now, speaking of patriotism, you're probably going to want to check out my Patriot Supply. Right now, go to preparewithknowles.com. I love that URL. In a world filled with uncertainty, it is crucial to be ready for whatever comes your way, whether that's a natural disaster, a sudden emergency, or unforeseen circumstances. Having a reliable food storage system can provide you with peace of mind and the assurance that you and your loved ones will be well taken care of. Right now, My Patriot Supply is offering major savings on their popular four-week emergency food kit to help you stay prepared for anything. Go to preparewithknowles.com, grab this special price before it ends that your four-week emergency food kit provides over 2,000 calories each day for optimal strength and energy in stressful situations. You can enjoy a wide variety of My Patriot Supply and can customize your supply. They offer an ultimate breakfast kit, a mega protein kit with real meat, and even a gluten-free kit. The best part is each meal is delicious, has a shelf life of 25 years. Do not wait for disaster to strike before taking action. Invest in your safety and well-being by securing your food storage today. Preparewithknowles.com. Get major savings on your four-week emergency supply kit. Preparewithknowles.com. Preparewithknowles.com. The greatest interview show on the internet, many people are talking about it, yes or no, made its grand return this past weekend. It was, it was captivating. People laughed. People cried. It featured the political and physical giant that we all know and love, Charlie Kirk. You do not want to miss the episode. Here is just a taste of the stiff drinks and spicy questions. My back and knee pain have greatly improved by ignoring infomercials. Here's some more good news. The yes or no game is now back in stock, baby. You can go to dailywire.com slash shop. Get your game today. The games go fast. Yes or no is hands down the best way to add some excitement to your parties. Challenge your friends and family's knowledge. Delve into the most thought-provoking topics of our time. It's sold out every time we've restocked it. We always increase the supply of the restock and then it sells out 
very quickly yet again. So get yours now, right now, dailywire.com slash shop to order yes or no today. Speaking of Democrats and RFK Jr., a majority of Democrats want Joe Biden to debate Bobby Kennedy Jr. right now. This is according to a Convention of States Action, Trafalgar Group survey. 57.5% of Democrats believe Biden should debate RFK Jr. This is a clear majority. Another 31.7% think they should not debate, and 10.8% say that they are unsure. Kennedy's rising, just as it took that billionaire celebrity to bring populism to the GOP, it might well take a Kennedy to bring populism to the Democrats. Now, speaking of the Biden administration, Joe Biden's monkeypox czar, a man named Dmitry Daskalakis, if you forget who he is, he's that guy who uh, published photographs of himself wearing leather sex gear and specifically wore a leather pentagram, symbol of the devil, on his chest over a pentagram tattoo. These are the people that our supposedly Catholic president is staffing his administration with. Not, so I shouldn't laugh because it's pretty dark. But this guy, this uh, Satan-worshipping leather sex fiend, he, uh, he was put in charge of monkeypox, which is kind of funny too. <laughs> uh, but he seems to have really terrible advice for how to deal with monkeypox because you would think if you're in that role, if you're the monkeypox czar, and you know that practically speaking, monkeypox is a sexually transmitted disease for homosexual men who go to orgies. That's how it spreads. Technically, you can get it other ways, but that's, in, in effect, that's actually how it spreads. You could call it gay orgypox. Sort of like with HIV, they say that HIV is not a sexually transmitted disease because you can get it from needles. Like, I guess you can, but the way you do get it is from a very specific kind of sexual intercourse most of the time. So uh, this monkeypox guy, you would expect him to say, hey, don't engage in dangerous sexual practices. That should be pretty much the only thing that his job requires. And yet, and yet, he says the opposite. I work in HIV normally, and I'll tell you that, you know, I, I always say that I've never made an HIV diagnosis in someone that hasn't somehow related to stigma. I think MPOX is the same. So really, um, uh, stigma tends to be a barrier to testing, a barrier to vaccination. And so, you know, really addressing stigma in- intentionally and making sure that we get the word out in a way that supports people's joy as opposed to, you know, calling them risky. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, one of the things to think about is that, you know, one person's idea of risk is another person's idea of a great festival or Friday night, for that matter. So we have to sort of embrace that with joy and make sure that folks know how to keep themselves safe. Do we, though? Do we have to do that? One person's idea of risk of contracting HIV or monkeypox or any other number of sexually transmitted diseases. One man's idea of risk is another guy's idea of a great Friday night. Am I right? Am I right? And so what we have to do is encourage that, encourage people to go to weird leather orgies. We have to. We have to. What other choice do we have? What, are we going to tell them not to engage in dangerous, deviant sexual behavior that's obviously depraved and wrong, That's that societies for all of history have discouraged strongly, and certainly our civilization discouraged for pretty much its entire existence? Would we do that? But, but then we won't get the monkeypox orgies. And we can't tell people not to go to those. I think we can. 
stigma. Stigma is a real barrier to people getting vaccines, maybe, or something. So that, that may or may not be true. I'm not totally convinced that's true. But you know what stigma is, is also a big impediment to? Contracting these illnesses. Do you know what stigma is also a great impediment to? Orgies and bathhouses and weird monkeypox leather parties. Stigma also suppresses those things because they're considered socially unacceptable. Sometimes they're considered illegal. If they happen, there can be legal consequences for it. There will be much more broadly cultural consequences for it. And fewer people engage in that risky behavior, which the monkeypox guy admits is very bad for people. Not bad like you get the sniffles for a couple weeks. Bad like you get HIV. Can we... Can we just say no? Can we just say no to this stuff? He's honest in that this guy, this Satan-worshipping leather daddy monkey boxer working for Joe Biden, is following liberalism to its logical conclusion. The logical conclusion that begins with the skepticism of liberalism, the idea that we can't really know what's good or bad or right or wrong or true or false. You know, we're just going to try to get along and be peaceable and increase our material prosperity and tick up GDP a little bit. The logical conclusion of that is, hey, one man's HIV orgy is another man's fun Friday night. So let's enjoy, let's encourage people's joy. But of course, engaging in these deviant, dangerous, destructive practices, sexual or otherwise, will not ultimately bring people joy. It might bring them a a disordered temporary sense of euphoria, but ultimately will bring them misery. Because when you do bad things, that makes you less happy in the long run. And when you do good things, that makes you more happy in the long run. This this is why, by the way, I I cited a survey yesterday from Gallup that said that uh, same-sex sexual relations has decreased in uh, acceptability in the American consciousness. So not just the trans stuff, not just even redefining marriage, but even the idea of same-sex relations. People now view it less favorably than they did a year or two ago. Significantly so. Why is that? It's, it's not because of will and grace. It's not because of your gay cousin who's got, you know, a live-in partner or something mm-hmm. where they're perfectly... Uh, pleasant and appropriate and, you know, have, have nice Thanksgiving dinner. It's because of that guy. It's, and it's because of the teachers in the public schools who are pushing this radical ideology. And it's because of transing the kids. And it's, it's because people are seeing the logical conclusion of the sexual revolution. And they say, you know, we don't need to tolerate the monkeypox orgies. That's not what James Madison wrote the constitution for. Okay. That's not what the Declaration of Independence is about, the new one or the old one. We're we're just not going to do it anymore. So you're you're seeing this in the schools. This was a story that came out about a week ago. I did my best to avoid getting to this story, but I think we actually have to get to it. The clip is all over the place, and I've I've censored it liberally so that... (laughs) You don't have to hear too much of this gross lesson. This is a high school teacher in Southern California giving a lesson on pleasing an orifice of the body. You don't have to go inside the You can actually just push on the seam, and that stimulates the gland as well. And that, oh, they apparently really like that. Um, but, yeah, so that's why for male and male, 
is still very pleasurable because of the fact that it hits the it hits the and there's a lot of nerve endings in your booty as well. So the girls, the prostate, they're the equivalent to each other. But apparently, that's why if you ever see like, I mean, Target has them now, sex toys. If you go to Target, seriously, if you go to Target and go where the tampons and pads are, they have. They just look like a little box, but if you open up, the, there's like a Velcro front to the box. You open it up, and then bam, sex toy. Okay, you get the idea. There's more to the video, but you you can use your imagination to fill in the blanks and what else she's saying. She's giving the students this very graphic, instructive lesson on how to engage in deviant sexual practices that are not oriented towards, say, the good of the spouses and the generation and the education of children, traditionally understood as the telos of sexual relations, the purpose of sexual relations, but on how to titillate people in ways by putting things where they're not supposed to go. So, some parents are up in arms about this. The teacher has been placed on administrative leave, but students are defending the teacher. A student said, quote, as a student in the video, I would like to say that everything taught by our teacher is educational. This is an anatomy physiology class and people shouldn't put her on leave and she should be rehired. And I got to tell you, oddly enough, I'm with the students. I'm kind of on the teacher's side here. This is a gross lesson. It obviously shouldn't be taught in high schools. It obviously shouldn't be taught at taxpayer expense. The kids are getting a bad education here. The woman is bad at her job if her job is educating people. But she's pretty good at her job if her job is following the lesson plans that her bosses set out. The woman is just doing the job that was established by the school boards, by the state, now when we're talking about California, and by our culture more broadly. She's teaching a class on anatomy and physiology. We have classes on sexual education. Sexual education now no longer has a moral aspect to it in the traditional sense. I guess it has a moral aspect to it in the, in the immoral, modern sense, which is to say any sexual behavior that you find pleasurable is good. That's a, that's a moral lesson. It just happens to be immoral, and it teaches the, the immorality of liberalism rather than the true morality of, of religion. But she's just following the lesson, man. Don't fire her. She's doing her job. You should fire the school board members. You should, in the case of California, you should fire the state administrators over education and the governor, Gavin Newsom. But we can't get mad at the foot soldiers for following the orders. If, if you get mad at that, you should say maybe she should quit her job or she probably doesn't know any better. The people who really deserve our ire are the people who are setting the lessons. And that includes the governors, that includes the state administrators, and that includes the number of people, often a, a very vocal, intense activist minority, but sometimes there's a significant number of them. People, ordinary citizens who peddle this stuff. This is wrong. If you don't want it in your schools, then you've got to vote the bums out and then when, whenever and wherever you can, wield political power to take the power away from these weirdos. Speaking of kids, there's a major Supreme Court case that not a lot of people have been talking about, but it's a really heart-wrenching case over whether not white couples or black couples or Hispanic couples, I guess, non-Native American couples can adopt Native American children and whether tribes can demand 
Native American children who've been adopted not be allowed to grow up in those cultures and have to come back to the plantation. And the conservatives are kind of split on this issue, but it tells you a lot. This case, which was very sadly decided, tells you a lot. It shows you a big fault line in the American right between liberalism and conservatism. Now, one thing that kids need is a cozy home. And when you want cozy bedsheets, you got to check out CozyEarth.com. Use promo code Knowles. Summer is hot and sticky. And that used to mean kicking off your covers every single night to try and stay cool. That all changes when you discover Cozy Earth bedding. Simply swap out your current sheets for soft, breathable, temperature-regulating sheets from Cozy Earth. Earth. I love Cozy Earth. I've got a beautiful, luxurious set of Cozy Earth bedding, and I sleep like a baby. Their bedding is made from viscose bamboo, so it traps less heat, enabling people to sleep cooler and more comfortably year-round. Cozy Earth's luxury bedding and loungewear transforms lives by offering the world's softest, most luxurious, and responsibly sourced bedding. With an eye toward quality, responsible production, cutting-edge technology, and premium materials, Cozy Earth selects only the best suppliers. They got a 100-night guarantee on their sheets. The brand has over 5,000 five-star reviews on their website. Their sheets get softer and softer with every wash. I just love them. They are just phenomenal quality. Strongly, strongly recommend you check them out so you can get a sense of what it's like to be in my boudoir. I'm a married man, but you can sleep on Cozy Earth. You'll get a good sense of it. Invest today in a good night's sleep. When you sleep while your life goes well, for a limited time, save 40, 40% off Cozy Earth's bedding. CozyEarth.com, promo code Knowles, 40% off. Promo code Knowles at checkout for up to 40% off your order at CozyEarth.com. If you're looking for something really interesting to watch, you've got to check out our series, What We Saw, hosted by storyteller Bill Whittle. Season one is focused on Apollo 11, and now the entirety of season two of What We Saw is available right now. Delve into the origins and key events of the Cold War as the series explores pivotal moments such as the Berlin blockade, the Korean War, the death of Stalin, the Cuban Missile Crisis, the Vietnam War, Watergate, and the ultimate resolution of the Cold War. Don't just read about history, live it. Bill makes you feel like you are there witnessing history. All episodes of Cold War are now available to stream, but you've got to be a Daily Wire Plus member to see it. My favorite comment yesterday from Julia T, who says, RFK Jr. and Trump would be an effing insane combo. I'd be on board key there being insane. That's, I think, why a lot of people are ginned up for it. Because if you just think about politics and the way that politics has been in America for 20 or 30 years now, you say, well, that doesn't make sense because RFK, he's anti-Second Amendment. I I think he's pro-abortion. He's a lib. You know, he's a big lib. So why would I vote for a lib? But if you you think about politics in in a little bit of a higher way, like a meta-politics, the politics of politics, And you say, okay, hold on. Right now, the issues that are defining our political debates are, to some degree, still these these issues over, I don't know, say abortion or immigration or the economy. But at a larger level, the debates are over how we are even governed. Who even gets to decide those questions? Because right now, the deep state, you know, the bureaucrats, the administrative state, the permanent government— they broadly decide a lot of those questions, especially on foreign policy, especially on, on things like trade. And the, the elections are kind of, kind of rigged. They seem kind of rigged right now. And neither party really has faith in the elections among the rank and file voters. So 
when you, when you see the issue as being about a, a corrupt system, then all of a sudden these populist weirdo wrench in the system candidates like Trump and RFK Jr., they start to make a little bit more sense. The fact that you say, man, that would be effing insane. That is kind of the best argument for that ticket. The, the best argument for a Trump-Kennedy ticket is not that they're the most coherently, cohesively conservative, patriotic, whatever candidates that you ever saw. The argument for that ticket is that this machine of state that is operating now has, is very corrupt and is not responsive to the people and is not doing good things. And so we just need to throw these people who don't fit into the machine and gum the whole thing up. If that's what the election's about, Trump-Kennedy is a pretty good ticket. So there's this case. Holland versus Brackeen. I'm sure I'm, I'm mispronouncing that. This is a challenge to the 1978 Indian Child Welfare Act, which was created to maintain Native American culture by prioritizing Native families in the adoption of Native children. And the case was 7-2. The only people who voted against the claims of the Indian tribes to keep the kids, even if the kids are, have, had been adopted by non-Indian parents, the only ones to vote against that were Alito and Thomas, who were the two most conservative judges on the court. The other, the libs plus the other conservatives, they voted in favor of the Indian Child Welfare Act, which prioritizes maintaining Native American culture over the interests of the Native American children, and obviously over the interests of the non-Native American families who have adopted these children. And there are all sorts of legal rights that were involved in, in this decision. Uh, Tenth Amendment rights, you know, states' rights, the Fourteenth Amendment, right to equal protection. But at a broader level, this case is a debate between liberalism and Christian conservatism. Because if you've got a debate, if you are on the side of liberalism, classical or otherwise, if you are on the side of nationalism, which, which crops up at the same time as liberalism, this idea that nations have a pretty firmly absolute right to do whatever the hell they want within their own territories, within their, among their own people. If you believe that, and there are plenty of conservatives who believe that, and they're sort of persuasive arguments, then you're going to side with the Indians here. You're going to side with the Indian Child Welfare Act. You're going to say the maintenance of Indian culture feather not dot, is more important than the welfare of any individual Indian child. However, if you are on the side of Christian conservatism, you're going to side with the Indian children here against the Indian Child Welfare Act. Because if you're on the side of Christian conservatism, you're probably sympathetic to the particular claims of a particular tribe and you, you're not opposed to them having their own culture and traditions and practices. But more fundamentally, you believe that there are eternal truths. You believe that you are called to evangelize all of the nations. And you believe that your understanding of the truth has a special claim all throughout the world. That, that we're not just going to live in some relativistic hodgepodge of individual cultures and nations. And you can't judge my culture, and I can't judge your culture, and stay out of my borders, man. If you're a traditional Christian conservative, you're going to say, oh no, there is a God. He's a triune God. He loves us. 
we have the gospel message, we've got a good culture here, and so we're not necessarily going to be eager to go in and conquer you, or you know, make, we're not going to make you convert at gunpoint or anything like that. But if a Native American family puts their kid up for adoption, we get to raise that kid, we baptize that kid, then we are going to continue to raise that kid. And your claims of cultural particularity or whatever are not going to overcome the claims of baptism and the gospel and the, the Western culture, Christendom, that we're going to raise this child in. And it, you're going to see conservatives fall on both sides of this. There are plenty of strong conservative defenders of nationalism, even, even of classical liberalism to some degree. But it is no coincidence that the, I, the people who appear to be the most conservative, and I think the most conservative in a Christian conservative kind of way, Alito and Thomas, they're the ones who come down on the side of the kids. The others who are a little bit, a little bit more liberal, a little bit less hardcore, they're the ones who side with the actual court liberals and, and side with the, the Indian tribes. Now, speaking of young people, great news coming out of Gallup. It's a lot of great news on the horizon about the American people, even as the American government seems to decay. Americans are overwhelmingly pro-life. Americans are overwhelmingly pro-life. According to a Gallup news survey released this week, just 37% of Americans think abortion should be legal in the second or third trimester of pregnancy. Only 22% believe that it should be legal in the third trimester. So well over three quarters of Americans say you, you, you really should ban abortion in the third trimester. And about two thirds say that you should ban abortion in the second trimester too. So you've got at least, you know, roughly two thirds of Americans who say abortion should only be legal in the first trimester. Now, unfortunately, the majority of Americans believe abortion should be legal in the first three months of pregnancy. That's 69% of Americans. So that's the highest percentage since Gallup began tracking the trend. So you've now got, you've got more Americans than ever who think abortion should be legal in the first trimester, but you've got a cratering number of Americans who think that abortion should be legal in the second and third trimester. What does that tell us? I think it's basically good news in that if you were able to ban abortion in America in the second and third trimester, that would be a, a great improvement over what we've got now, so I'll take it. But it also shows you one of the downsides of democratic lowercase d, democratic politics, which is that it tends toward incoherence. You, you ever hear about the independent voter? In America, in democracies, we always exalt the independent voter. But the independent voter very often is independent because his political views don't make any sense. <laughs> so he'll say, I don't know, he'll say, I'm uh, pro, I'm pro uh, abortion. Well, I guess in this case, you just say I'm pro abortion in the first trimester, but not in the third trimester. It's the same baby. Why is it okay to murder the baby at one point, but not another point? Or you'll, you'll see someone say, I'm in favor of transgenderism, but not for transing the kids. Well, okay, if you're in favor of transgenderism, then you're making a claim about human nature. And if, if that claim about human nature is true, it's true of the kids also. Or you'll, you'll see someone say, I'm in favor of, uh, I don't know, any, any number of, of sort of issues. Uh, They'll, they'll be a little bit confused. They'll support some social policies, but not certain economic policies. And it gets a little bit jumbled up. 
Now, a nice consequence of the hostility between the people and the elite that we're seeing increasing is that elite opinion in this liberal establishment is pretty reliably wrong on all of these issues, on sexuality, on immigration, on the economy, on foreign policy. The elite opinion, if you open up the pages of the New York Times, the Washington Post, you find whatever the opinion is there, you can 99 times out of 100 be confident that that opinion is wrong and you should have the opposite opinion. Which means that as the elites become more and more radical, more and more corrupt, more and more wrong, and the people increasingly view the elites as hostile to them, the American people are going to become more conservative as we're seeing reflected in the polls, on abortion, on sexual matters, on education, on even economic matters, on foreign policy, you're seeing a conservatizing of the American people. Will that be reflected in the polls? The question is, how much power do the people have? We would get to member block, and I would blame producer Jacob, but I cannot. I cannot blame him right now. I actually sent him away. Uh, I've got to go to Gavin Mussolini's hellhole of California for just a few days. We've got some projects we're doing out there. And so there's no member block today. We'll join you again for member block tomorrow. I will miss you in the meantime. But until then, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show.